0: For the past 10 years, investors have been riding a bull market in the U.S. Growth in the stock market has been relatively stable. But are ripples starting to show beneath the surface? Trade and geopolitical tensions have created uncertainty. Easy monetary policy could be coming to an end. And demographic changes are creating more demand for income around the world. With these shifting dynamics, following the stock market could not be enough for any of us. So where should we look now? On this episode of The Bid, Rick Reeder, Chief Investment Officer of Global Fixed Income and Head of Global Allocation at BlackRock, talks about why he thinks we underestimate the impact of technology on markets, just how many bullets are left for the world's central banks to use in monetary policy, and the secret to sleeping only four hours a night. I'm your host, Mary Catherine Later. We hope you enjoy. thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You're the CIO of Global Fixed Income, and you recently became the head of our global allocation investment team as well. You're now responsible for about $1.7 trillion in assets. As that number has grown, has your thinking as an investor changed?
1: I mean, it has. I mean, I think as an investor, you grow over the years anyway. You think about... What investing is as opposed to what trading is and, you know, thinking about where are we going and how do you get there? So I think it evolves quite a bit and particularly in today's markets where volatility is higher. So you think a lot about what's my core conviction? What do I want the portfolios to look like? What is your big picture thinking? Make sure your portfolio looks like that.
0: So for the past 10 years, we've been in a bull market, a stock market that's on the rise, and it's created a lot of confidence. It seems like you can invest in almost anything and make money. There's a persistent question now as to how long that will last. So what's your view? How long do you think that will last? And can the bull market keep running?
1: I think the world is changing quite a bit. Part of what I find energizing about markets now is, like you say, we've lived for years in this dynamic that two things have happened, you know, post I would say the financial crisis and economies were growing a bit. China was growing a tremendous amount, creating this tailwind for the world. People underestimate how big China is, particularly for Europe, and how it was creating this extraordinary veil of, you know, growth is pretty good. And then simultaneously, interest rates came down dramatically. central banks, anytime you had a blip, the central banks were there underneath the surface. And like you said, this has been an environment where you just bought beta, beta meeting the upside or the sensitivity to the market, You know, one of the things that the markets move based on the S&P 500 and then how sensitive you are to how the general market will move as opposed to idiosyncratic or an individual company's performance or securities performance. It was just get me beta, just get me upside potential. All of a sudden, that's coming to an end. I mean, not to say I think markets can still do well, and I think markets, particularly equity markets, will continue to do well. But it's all about dispersion and what I call, you know, where do you want to be versus not want to be. And it's quite frankly, as an investor, what's the most exciting thing you could do is it's not just making one decision. Are we risk on, do we like risk or risk off and temporarily not? Now you think about a whole myriad of things that you could do in a market which is lot of fun.
0: And so what indicators are you looking at today that you think are particularly meaningful? There's a lot of concern as to whether some data is a little bit less positive than it had been more recently, what that might mean for the economy, for example.
1: Yeah, I'll start with what I'm not looking at. Traditional economics used to focus on manufacturing data and say, okay, the manufacturing PMI was this, and that's what was the influence on the economy. It's 12%. Arguably, it's less than that. In hiring, it's less than that. It's been negative hiring for the last 20 years. But the thing that I watch really carefully is sort of the service sector and how that's doing. The service sector hasn't been in a recession since the Great Depression, but I particularly watch the consumer. And the consumer is in really, really good shape. Historically, net worth is up, net income is up, inflationary conditions are lower. Consumption can change, sentiment can change and people can pull back, particularly the equity market. But you know, I watch that consumer data really closely. I watch things like auto sales, housing starts in the US. You know, and then globally I watch China quite a bit. And I think people underestimate how big it is in terms of global trade and particularly manufacturing and things around commodities, iron ore, et cetera. So anyway, those are the things that I watch pretty carefully.
0: So as you're watching the consumer in the most developed economies, the consumer is generally aging. Demographics mm-hmm. are changing. So what implication does that have for you as an investor?
1: So I'd say there are two influences that I think are the biggest ones, and I think if you just got these two right, it's the key to investing and going forward. It's demographics and technology. Let's start with the demographic as you described. The aging consumer or the aging individual in the world, the fertility rate's not high enough. And so what does it mean? It has huge ramifications. Global growth can stay low for a long time. It means interest rates are going to stay low for a really long time. Central banks have to keep rates low because you don't create enough organic growth. You can't pull forward growth like you used to. That's a really big deal. Second, we're in this amazingly historic period of time, the demand for income is extraordinary and it's not going to change anytime soon whether it's because of the aging dynamic pension funds insurance companies individuals need the income as they approach retirement or because they have liabilities that is a really really big deal and i I think people underestimate that's going to be with us for at least the next 10 years 20 years by the way in this asset light capital light world away from goods and manufacturing we're not creating enough income you just think about all the middlemen we used to have over the years in manufacturing processes and otherwise, the world's not creating enough income for the requirements.
0: So just get a little more granular, what does that mean for the aging consumer? How do they get that income? They're paying more and more for less income.
1: Yeah, I mean, you take the fixed income market, usually typified by the global ag, I think the number is it's $25 trillion to get $700 billion, I think is the number offhand. It takes three times as many assets as it did 10, 12 years ago. That's a really big deal. Again, I think for a consumer generally, it's make sure... That you're in the right industries, make sure you're in the right places, but make sure you're in those places that are not going to get disrupted because technology is changing so darn fast. The next five to ten years, what people, I don't think, spend as much time with on technology is technology does not grow in a 45-degree angle like a smooth graph. It stays low sales and then explodes higher. Data transmission has created this unbelievable usage of Internet, GPS technology, and now there's more to come. And so we'd be really careful about, are you in, you know, what I call the fast rivers of cash flow, the places that benefit from technology and benefit are in the right industry, but be really careful. Because if not, you know, look at places like energy or hard retailing today. You've got to be really careful in going forward, and that's not going to be any easier for the next five to ten years.
0: You mentioned fast rivers of cash flow. What exactly do you mean by that?
1: There is something really different than anything you've seen in history that certain industries – you get this dynamic that they're doing well, they're at the right side of the technology spectrum, and then because they're doing well and they're creating profits and cash flow, they can reinvest in their business, and they could put money into R&D and innovation and go into different areas that are tangential to what they do. And so, you know, every day we're trying to figure out, are we in the industries, whether it's technology, you know, things around the consumers doing really well, parts of the healthcare market, managed care, et cetera, the businesses that are actually operating in a the right technology, B you know attached to demographics or the right sector today, your ability to continue to grow is tremendous. And then if you're on the wrong side of it, it's really hard today.
0: So thinking about underestimating the power of technology, as you mentioned, we've had a couple of tech IPOs lately that have been disappointing. So how do you think about what is and isn't technology, where those fast rivers of cash flows are or may not be?
1: You know, I hear a lot of people saying that tech is now overvalued, or what are people going to pay for future growth? Some of those recent IPOs, you know, maybe there was the assumption that the valuation was high and you'd grow into it. And the markets are saying, you know what, the economies globally are more uncertain. The ability to pull forward that growth or grow into those valuations is a bit harder. But boy, I don't think it changes the dynamic around technology and it doesn't change the efficiencies. And I look at companies, their returns exceed their cost of capital. You know, look in Europe and there's a huge amount of companies where the cost of capital, you know, where their equity market is, even the debt costs are low. So it means they can't invest in R&D, they can't invest in CapEx. So I still think technology is changing the world and the amount of – I mean as we get into 5G, I think people are underestimating – how big that transition is going to be, and how big the winners are. By the way, you look at the cable companies in broadband and what they're able to generate today. If you do it in scale and you're in the right technology, your ability to garner cash flow is historic. And just make sure you're getting into... What I call those fast rivers.
0: Mm-hmm. That's largely been concentrated in a number of really, really big companies. So, mm-hmm. how do you think about the expansion of that opportunity set of the number of companies, either new entrants or existing companies, who can take advantage of that rapid growth and fast rivers of cash flow generated by technology?
1: So, you know, A, you know, I think are a lot of those big companies make often a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And you got to keep an eye on regulation and you got to keep an eye on how those businesses are going to grow and thrive going forward. But then I think they're all, we talked about cable companies. and – who is a supplier who is alongside of them in that dynamic i think is really important by the way you look in the consumer sector there are a lot of companies that are really proactive about have gotten themselves into the right technology and i look in the retailing space and there are some companies that are cutting edge in retailing and all of a sudden you just see their share continues to grow and grow and grow and then others you know that may still have the same a similar tired business model and you just watch the chasm between them is going to expand and continue to expand going forward. So I don't think it's just the traditional technology companies. Is who is, A, in and around those big tech names, and B, who are you know industries that have just figured out, this is where my price point has to be. Here's how I get there efficiently. Here's how I brought my cost structure down alongside of it. I don't think we've hit the end. Uh, New developments around technology, whether it's autonomous driving, whether it's things like drone technology and what it means for different businesses. Gosh, I think there's so many cool, exciting things that Mm -hmm. are still coming down the pike.
0: So it's not that you think we should avoid utilities, energy, industrials altogether. It's rather Mm -hmm. who's adjacent to that growth, who can take advantage of that growth. Is that right?
1: I think one of the most exciting things for investing for the last few years, so you think about what happened. Last few year's interest rates came down, people looked at equities and said, gosh, my utility stocks have done well or my staples have done well. That's because interest rates came down dramatically. Should I be financing utilities and staples in equities? Or should I save my equity appreciation to the companies that are in the fast rivers mm-hmm. of cash flow? Should I save them for tech or consumer or parts of the health care, and again some political risk, but into place like healthcare? And on the bond side, you know, their bonds are cheaper. In you know, places like utilities staples, their bonds are cheaper. Why wouldn't I just buy those companies in bond form? And you think about the places like utilities, the regulated industries, they're unbelievably stable, and their bonds are cheaper than technology companies. Why would I lend to a technology company? I'd like the upside, and I lend to a utility, I'll lend to a consumer staples company. And that makes a lot more sense. You can create efficiencies, build income in your portfolio places that are stable, and then get your upside in places that have upside, have embedded organic upside in them.
0: So you've mentioned equities and bonds. What other asset classes do you think are perhaps misunderstood right now, and how are you looking at them?
1: You know, for the first time in a long time, many years, we're actually excited about gold again. And, you know, people don't realize there's only $6 trillion worth of gold in the world. It's only enough to fill two Olympic-sized swimming pools. Actually, there's not (laughs) a lot. And, you know, it has no industrial purpose, which is perfect because it's got a history as a currency. And when you depreciate the currency in other parts of the world because you just print money or negative interest rates, gold tends to work really well. You know, I think there are parts of the real estate market that I still think are really attractive. I think the residential real estate market, whether it's a direct investment, whether it's tangential in a home builder's, the equity in people's homes is the highest it's been in years and years and years got a consumer that's in great shape. So anyway, that's another place that we think is exciting today.
0: And what about geographically? Which markets are you particularly interested in? It sounds like some of what we're talking about sounds a little specific to the U.S., but for example, that demographic trend in home building, that could be in a lot of different countries.
1: Yeah, totally. The best demographic in the world sits in India. You know, we've spent some time in India, and it's not without risk. And whenever you go into, whether it's political or fiscal, you know, India just cut the corporate tax rate. It's the best demographic, and I'm convinced demographics, they're not necessarily the trade for the weak. But they tend to win. Parts of China, you always think about risk reward. You know, take some pieces in China. China, particularly in technology, is at the cutting edge, arguably beyond the US. So there's some things to do there. You know, Europe is tricky. There's no organic vibrancy to that economy. I was looking at the number of unicorns in Europe in the last few years has been close to nothing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be a bit careful there. And, you know, graphically, Latin America, you know, I like the rates market in Latin America, but I do you think Latin America is going to continue to grow? Brazil has done some things on fiscal reform. Mexico as well. So, you know, some opportunities in Latin America come up. We definitely on the rates side today, they're going to keep cutting interest rates
0: focusing on monetary policy for just a moment we've talked a lot about rates or the chase for income sounds like your view is that monetary policy can't continue to be the sell for the economy what's your view as to the extent to which governments and central banks can continue to cut rates and how effective or ineffective that'll be
1: i think it depends where you live i don't think europe and japan can do much at all on monetary policy mm-hmm. i think it's over i think negative rates is the dumbest invention in the history of the planet to start <laughs> with and uh, i wish they'd go away And I don't know how they're going to go away because it's so hard to come back from when your economy's not growing that fast your debt's too big. So they need to get fiscal, particularly Europe. And I think you'll get a transition to some fiscal, but it won't be satisfying. I think the Fed has a lot of bullets left. When people say the Fed's out of bullets because we're close to zero interest rates, it's not true. A, we're not at zero interest rates, so the Fed still has a number of moves they can make. They can do them quickly, too, and you can shock the system by moving quickly when you move rates Particularly as you get to the zero bound, and particularly when you're easing, you want to be fast and aggressive. And then people forgot the Fed's balance sheet is only 19 percent of GDP. The ECB's is 40, and Japan's 104. Hmm. The Fed could buy a lot of assets. You know, it's within the Fed's purview to buy municipal bonds. Like people think the hmm. Fed buying munis, mm-hmm. but if you want to stimulate infrastructure in this country, the Fed can turn around and buy munis. I mean, the Fed could buy trillions. I mean, you have a 20 trillion dollar economy. The Fed can buy a lot of assets. So. I think the Fed has become the central bank to the world. It's part of why I think the dollar is so critical to economic conditions globally. You know, when the Fed stops raising rates, start cutting them, all of a sudden emerging market countries can then cut rates. It's a really big deal. But I think more and more, Jay Powell has a lot more on his shoulders because the other central banks, particularly in the developed world, are out of tools. And it's a really big deal.
0: So it sounds like you sort of think the bull market is going to continue in the U.S.,
1: I don't think when people say the equity market's high, it's not high. I mean, you may think it's going down, but it's not high from a free cash flow multiple. It's not high from a PE ratio. P-E ratio meaning price to earnings for a company or roughly what you're paying valuation-wise for their current earnings and their future earnings flow. On a PE ratio, it's about average versus where it's been. But it's also interest rates are the lowest they've been by hundreds of basis points, so, I think that what's happening because there's not enough bonds in the world because there's not enough income in the world, I think you can continue to see the equity market appreciate. Is it going to be straight line? no, in a perverse way, I'd actually like to see it go down first to get some better <laughs> valuations and to buy some things. but I don't understand There's no doubt earnings are going to be flattish, not terribly exciting. Margins maybe under a bit of pressure because of wages. but I don't think we're going a deep recession, and people have suggested we're going to deep recession stay away from equities for a while. Am I okay taking some equity risk for sure?
0: So then what would be a sign to you that a recession might be on the horizon?
1: I mean, it has to be the consumer. Let's just say whatever reason is an exogenous shock, a geopolitical event, a political event, and the equity market goes down 15%, 20%. That would hurt sentiment. And you'd get the consumer pullback and say, you know what, I'm going to wait for a bit. My net worth has come under a bit of pressure. If all of a sudden they really increase the savings rate because they were worried about what was happening around them – that would be something that would give me some concern. Otherwise, you know, people say manufacturers come under pressure, so the next thing that happens is you'll see layoffs. Manufacturing doesn't hire anybody these days; it's mm-hmm. in a secular decline. So that doesn't impact my thinking. But you know, the service sector, healthcare, education, leisure, business services generally have been pretty buoyant in terms of hiring people, and income levels are good. But that is service sector consumers. I'd watch quite a bit. U.S. is also a closed economy. Yeah, not that tariffs wouldn't hurt the consumer. They will. But, you know, people say, you know, look at what's happening to trade or the global economy. U.S. is incredibly – of the top 20 countries in the world, it's the most closed from a trade perspective, meaning U.S. can still grow if the global economy is soft.
0: So you think these concerns about the impact of trade on the stock market, for example, are a little overblown?
1: You know, well, the stock market still – I mean, we haven't traded off that much in stocks. So people talk about it a lot. But, you know, when you sit at close to the highs, I don't know. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's weighing on sentiment. One thing I would say about trade that is important is we do live in a world where we have an open global system, and China is so darn important, and Europe is certainly important in the global economy. If, you know, global economy was moribund, you know, it wouldn't hurt the U.S. from a growth perspective. But it would be something that, you know, would worry about a bit, but more from China and the impact of China and trade. But you have to keep an eye on it for sure.
0: So, just listening to you talk about global markets, different asset classes, it sounds like a pretty exciting time to be an investor. How would you characterize what makes this time different from the many other decades, the periods in which you've also been managing money?
1: Exciting also means blood pressure rises at times. <laughs> the uh, you know, it's certainly not straight line, and it's certainly not without volatility, and certainly not. I mean, you know, your operating environment, whether it's trade or issues people are about the president or Brexit or you know global economy slowing. It's not like they're not things that are out there that don't concern you. So, you know, this is a different time for a couple of reasons. One, with interest rates where they are, you got to figure out, how do I get income in the portfolio? Create balance, create balance, create balance. We're not going to be like we were, you know, certainly the beginning part of this year where rates worked well and equities worked well. we got to create balance in the portfolio. you got to get income in the portfolio and do it efficiently. And then, you know, within a market, that's jumpy. You know, I don't believe people say we're at the end of the cycle, end of the cycle. i have been saying we've been in the cycle for four years. And I don't really believe there's a business cycle like a traditional manufacturer and close the output gap, inflation rises, but you know, is growth slower. We had a big fiscal tailwind, now it's a headwind to some extent. You have a big election uncertainty with incredible dispersion of opinion and policy. You know, you have to have balance in the portfolio because if anybody tells me here's what the election will look like, not just in this country, around the world. They'd be lying if they say they knew. So know anyway, that's why we like balance.
0: Sounds straightforward, but very hard to execute.
1: <laughs> day in and day out is hard, for sure. Yeah. Quite frankly, it's hard separating yourself from the news flow, mm-hmm. whether it's social media or Twitter or what have you. But know anyway, you just got to commit to this is where we're going to be, and you know the portfolio will work out well. Just keep that corpus of your portfolio headed in the right direction.
0: I'm going to end with a rapid-fire round of slightly more personal questions. Are you ready?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm not really going to rapid-fire, so I'll try (laughs) to keep them brief, though.
0: (laughs) So you notoriously only sleep about four hours a night. Yeah. What's the secret? Is that nature or nurture? And if it's nurture, what have you done?
1: Nobody tells me it's a good thing. I just uh, (laughs) think every year I take another half hour off. There's so much going on. I feel like sleep is a waste of time. I mean, I'm sure I have a lot of medical people, including my brother, who's a doctor, (laughs) tell me I'm crazy. But... I don't know. I feel like there's a lot going on and I have a lot of energy.
0: That's pretty inspiring. So you're also a technology buff. Yeah. What's your favorite gadget?
1: So, you know, actually, the new one I've gotten into, we have talked over time about obviously phones and AirPods and autonomous driving, but I've gotten into this whoop that I wear now, which is I think the physiology of the human genome is really interesting about how, you know, days show about not sleeping. though some days I don't sleep at all, and uh, it tells you. <laughs> but I think monitoring your insides in terms of, whether it's blood flow or dispersion or you're having a good day, not a good day, I'm really, really become intense in trying to think about, you know, what drives performance on any given day. It's why we're seeing a lot of athletes now that are monitoring their daily conditions to determine, you know, what they're – exercise regimen should be, et cetera. I mean, we've done it with machines for years. Why can't you do it with humans?
0: Have you noticed any trends? Is there anything you do differently now that you know?
1: Well, it's actually horrifying when I look at how many nights I don't sleep at all because I'm <laughs> up watching markets. Particularly, I notice that on the weekends, I get considerably more deep sleep than during the week. There's something going on there, <laughs> particularly when the news flow is high. So I figure I got to sleep more on the weekends.
0: What's the book at the top of your recommended reading list right now?
1: I'm reading a book called Factfulness. I just yep. started it. But I think it's a pretty good book. You know, it's a pretty optimistic view of things. But my favorite book that I've read in the last 5, 10 years is one called Capitalism Without Capital that tells you so much about the economy that we don't need capital, we don't need hard assets, etc., but it gives you some sense for why certain countries grow, why certain don't, you know, why certain industries are going to thrive, why others aren't. I know it's fantastic.
0: So one of the many perks of your job is that you get to meet a lot of extremely interesting and really famous people. Who's the most interesting or perhaps most famous person you've sat next to at a dinner?
1: Uh, Larry Fink. No, I, I, uh, <laughs> That's the right answer. <laughs> I enjoy sitting next to Larry actually, but – I don't know who's the most famous, you know, two people I've gotten to become friends with that's been a big, huge honor for me are Paul Ryan. You know, we debate social issues all the time, but I find him fascinating economically and thoughtful. And I've gotten to become friends with Rory McIlroy, the golfer, and he's got a lot of tips for me since I can't seem (laughs) to fix my golf game. And he's had a great year.
0: One last question. Most exciting or scariest you choose moment of your career as an investor?
1: 08 was, I mean, if I lived for 50 years... You know, going through 08 was incredibly daunting and how it played out and scary. And, you know, we think about what could have happened and what did happen. Since then, I would say, as the business has changed, we don't get it right every day. But, you know, there's some neat things we're doing and building analytics and technology around it. You know, some using artificial intelligence that I thought, gosh, you'd never use in investing. There's some really cool things going on right now. The next few years could be not without risk, but a lot of fun.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you. was fun. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
2: This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and you may not get back the amount invested. In the US this material is intended for public distribution. In the UK this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited, authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Registered office: 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N 2DL. Telephone: +44 020 77433000 registered in England and Wales number 2020394 For your protection telephone calls are usually recorded BlackRock is a trading name of BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited In Singapore this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited co-registration number 200010143N In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management, North Asia Limited, and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management, Australia Limited, ABN 13-006-165-975-AFSL-230-523-BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell, or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund. No securities regulators in Latin America have confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the Investment Services Guide available at www.blackrock.com/mx. Copyright 2019 BlackRock Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.